Job 28, um, starting from verse 20. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. Then he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. And then from 1 Corinthians. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank Steph and Bronte for serving us, uh, and for indeed, each week, we're so blessed to have our gifted musicians, readers, and prayers uh, it's quite humbling often to hop up afterwards uh, because you guys do such a fantastic job. So I appreciate all your efforts and service for us. Um, we're going to be continuing today looking at Job 28. It's the third week we are spending here. And the final week, in the first week we looked at uh, wisdom as like a jewel. It's valuable uh, that humans in their ingenuity mine for what is valuable, these precious jewels. And in a similar way, wisdom, we saw last week, uh, is like that valuable thing. It's so valuable. Yet, we saw last week in verses 12 and 20, uh, it's not in the land of the living. That is, it can't be sourced by human ingenuity, trying to gain it through our own means. And this week we're going to be considering, okay, what is the way to wisdom then? And then we'll close with a reflection on what is the way of wisdom as we do it. Uh, but being in the book of Job, um, 
it's, it's helpful as we consider what it means to be wise because Job's world is, is our world. Uh, it's a world that does not go as we hope or plan more often than not. Uh, the other day we went out in the afternoon to go for a cycle as a family um, and we all, you know, you should do anything with six of you. It's, it's quite an exercise. You know, helmets on, on the bikes and off we go across... Kent Street, which is always difficult, and, and then the heavens completely open. Now, we'd looked at the, the app on our phone. It wasn't going to rain, but of course, the heavens completely opened, and, and it did. See, it, it's kind of a little picture, isn't it? We, we, we plan, we, we look at the forecast, we prepare, but life throws at us something that we don't expect. Now, whether it's Transport, running on time, whether it's authorities doing as they've promised, whether it's our relationships and life plans or fulfilling goals, whether they're met, uh, whether the good things that we long for are accessible for our enjoyment. We all have this picture of what our lives should look like, the good life in our own mind, a meaningful life. And largely we form our, our, our life around these things. And success then is, is measured by... Um, the extent to which nothing intrudes on that. It's a world where we presume that it will go a certain way. But it's a picture of a world where, where we are sovereign. But the reality is, as Job picks up for us, is that we're not sovereign, we're not in charge. And so as the Viking adventure demonstrated, we don't live in that world. It's, it's a world where the inverse often happens, where we miss the train or it's delayed, where our relationships and life plans, they're, they're so fraught and fragile. Our life plans might seem to be slipping away and intrusions from outside seem to not bring any sense of peace. It robs us of peace within. And so it's in this world that Job wrestles with the question as, as to why. Why is this the case and how can he act wisely in this situation? What does wisdom look like in a world of Job's, in a world like our own? And, and that's the beauty of this book, I think, because it helps us to wrestle with the world as it is, not with a world that we want it necessarily to be. Um, and the truths that we'll see today, I think, are good news. Uh, the truths that we're actually not in charge, and the way of wisdom looks like entrusting ourselves to God. And that's actually a picture of the good life. See, what if, just entertain with me for a second, rather than feeling out of control in a world that we, we, we're not in charge, what if, in fact, that, that the fact that we are not in charge, that we're not God and it's not our world, is actually good news for us? Or rather than leading to despair or passive resignation, what if the way to the good life is a recognition of this fact and we express our dependence on something outside of us? Uh, to see this, we need, we need wisdom. Um, and that's the theme of this year and the theme of this passage. Uh, in the book of Job, uh, this passage sits almost as an interlude. So if you, if you read through, uh, particularly the discourse between Job and his friends as they discuss the nature of the world and the way it is and, the particularly, and particularly his suffering, this kind of acts as a bit of a break in that. Um, the tone is anguished from Job, 
Um, the, the wrestlings and the musings and the chastisements of his friends are a particular tone, and here suddenly it just calms down a bit, and it's a bit more of a, a poet's or a philosopher's tone as he reflects on wisdom. And so today we see two things. We see the way to wisdom and the way of wisdom. Well, firstly, we see in these verses... Uh, the way to wisdom. Remember in verses 12 and to 20, we've been raised with the question, you know, how, where is wisdom found? How do we source it? Well, in verse 23, we read this, God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. We've been told that in the land of the living, there's no way we can know the way to wisdom. But in verse 23, the way to wisdom, it states up front for us that God understands the way to it. And that's good news for us, because we need wisdom to live well in this world. As we saw last week, wisdom is the ability to achieve the best ends from, from the facts. So it's valuable. It needs to be sourced. But where do we source it? We don't know, but the good news is God knows the way to wisdom. We need wisdom and understanding. But if we think about our own lives, and as we think about what wisdom is, what are the things that we lean on ourselves to pursue it? There's many things that we lean on, and, and we find nuggets of wisdom in these places. We, we, we lean on knowledge brokers, so the scientists, the experts, and the think tanks. We lean on the collective wisdom of governments and boards, or, or perhaps um, parish councils. We lean on the collated wisdom of, of information, Google, in one sense. Uh, and we lean on ourselves. And, and there is nuggets of wisdom to be found here, but, but it's limited. See, ultimately, they don't offer us the, the A to Z of understanding because there's just so much in the world that we just don't know. We don't know what will happen once we leave these doors. So they might offer us an understanding of, say, A to K, but they don't give us the A to Z of understanding. But God, it says, understands the way to wisdom. He knows the A to Z. He knows what will happen as we walk through these doors. And so we should hear the exhortation of Proverbs 3 when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In leaning on our own understanding or other sources of knowledge exhaustively, we, we limit ourselves because, ultimately, the true source of wisdom is found in God himself. The poet doesn't tell us the location of wisdom, but rather directs our eyes to the one who alone knows its place and dwelling. And if you look at verses 24 to 26, it kind of spells this out for us. Even more. Verse 24, it says, And he, he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Remember, in verses 1 to 11, there's this searching for these things that are valuable. In verses 12 to 20, there's, there's, there's asking the depths and the seas, where is wisdom? And they're saying, it's not with me. But in verse 24, it speaks of God. He sees, he views everything in view and without. He is the architect he is the source. He knows. Verse 25, when he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made the decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. Again, weather, particularly in the Old Testament, is a picture of 
something that's ultimately untamable. But here we see God, he established the force of the wind. He tells the wind where to go, when and how hard to blow. He, he measured out the waters. He tells the floodwaters to go here and not there. He made a decree to the rain. He tells it where and when and how much it should fall and a path of the thunderstorm. He tells it where and when it should strike and rumble. It's a picture of God who is completely sovereign, completely in control. He knows the A to Z. Or Z, I never know which one to say. I think behind me, it was pictured this morning, you'll see in the, the two sides, you see the Alpha and the Omega. It's a picture of God's knowledge. He knows the beginning and the end and everything in between and everything after. And so the poet here, through the means of this language and imagery, is trying to stir within us a sense that God knows to, to set our eyes on to him, to look to him for wisdom. Look at verse 27. Then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. This is speaking of God. He confirmed it and tested it. Uh, one commentator says it's likened to, to a skilled jeweler who, who, seeing a jewel, examines it and prepares it. And so wisdom is like the centerpiece of God's, God's crown jewels. God alone knows its place. And so in this world where, where, where things don't go as uh, we desire or plan or a throne, we are thrown, this is a comforting thought. Even if we can't make sense of it, if we can't see a wise path, well, God knows. He knows the A to Z. And although there are nuggets of wisdom out there, God is the true source. He sees everything under the heavens, whereas we only see in part. And so the way to wisdom is seeking after God himself. Tremper Longman writes this. He says, wisdom begins not in accumulating facts. Our world tells us all the time that, that wisdom is, is knowing more stuff. But wisdom is not beginning in accumulating of facts, but with a relationship with God. We're to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. We're to seek God. He knows the way. It's a humbling thought, but it's a deeply comforting thought. But as we walk out these doors, he knows exactly what will happen. And so, he is the path to wisdom. He knows. But it's important to know as we, as we think about this, and particularly as we read our second reading from 1 Corinthians, that the world does not think that this looks like the way to wisdom. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many of you were influential, not many were of your noble birth. He's actually saying, to the world's eyes, you looked foolish. But as we saw last week, in verse 25, he says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Reality is different. Seek God. He knows the way. And he reveals true wisdom to us. That's the way to wisdom. Verse 23. But also, secondly, we see the way of wisdom. And... The way of wisdom is to humble ourselves. Look at verse 28. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil, that is understanding. To fear the Lord, that is wisdom, to shun evil, that is 
understanding. It's quite an expression as we, as we look at this, the fear of, of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, that the, the kind of range in that word group is either, you know, moves from horror to, to awe. And so as we think about the language of fear, it, it can have negative connotations in, in our culture. Although at the same time too, uh, I think we can understand it as a, as a healthy thing. I don't know if you've seen the documentary on Netflix called Free Solo of Alex Hammond, who, who climbs um, El Capitan in California without ropes. Um, it's, it's, it's an awful watch because you're just the whole time sitting there going, as you, as you watch it. And you kind of leave with a sense of, you know, this guy's got no fear, but you don't actually think that that's a good thing. As you look at it, it's like, something's not quite right here. Um, and so fear is, is, is not necessarily exclusively a negative emotion. In fact, it's, it's a healthy thing if it's, uh, you know, if it's concerning the right object. So in this context, as we read the fear of the Lord, it's not, it's not terror in the sense that we're afraid and cowering away from someone who's kind of going to fly off the handle. Rather, in this context, it speaks of, of reverence and honour, of awe and respect. The lovely scene in uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, a children's book by C.S. Lewis, where um, one, of the, one of the girls, Susan, inquires about Aslan, who's the king of this, this world, Narnia, speaking to Mr. Beaver. And she asks, inquiring about Aslan, and Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And it's a lovely picture, isn't it? That there is a sense of reverence and awe, but it's not that we cower away from that, but rather... It shapes the way in which we approach God. We don't presume upon him, but we humble ourselves before him, recognising who he is. He knows the A to Z. He's powerful, he's sovereign, he's in control, but yet he draws near to us in Christ. But we're to approach him reverently and with honour and with awe. Tremper Longman again writes, the object of fear here is the creator of all, the one who is sovereign over his creation, those who experience fear in his presence know their rightful place in the universe. They recognize that he is God, he is creator, and we are creation, we are creatures. We're not the center of the universe, he is. It's recognizing that I am not God and it's not my world. It recognizes that he is the center of the universe. But secondly, we, we had to fear the Lord, but, and, and we're going to explore that theme later in the year as we come along um, with this theme of, of wisdom. But secondly, we're told also in verse 28 to shun evil. To shun evil is understanding. It's the path of wisdom, to fear the Lord and to shun evil. If you remember last week, we, we spoke about our God being the, the architect of our world and within the very fabric of creation, it's as if he wove wisdom into it. It speaks of that in, in Proverbs 8. Such perspective means that uh, because God is the architect, because he has the blueprint of this world, we would do well 
to listen to him as to how we should live and be in this world. And so to shun evil is actually to, to listen to God and to obey his commands. It's interesting in Ecclesiastes, in a similar phrase, it says, you know, what, what is the end of man? Well, the end of it is this, to fear God and to keep his commands. And in a similar way, to, to shun evil is a similar way of saying that we should listen to him about how to live. He has threaded wisdom through the fabric of the universe. His ways are in sync with wisdom. And so we would do well. We would be wise. The path of wisdom is to follow him. Listen to how Psalm 1 speaks of the one who delights in the word of the Lord. Uh, describes them as blessed. They are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do, prosper. And Proverbs 3.5, which we looked at earlier, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Recognize that he is the center of the universe and he will make your paths straight. It's as we recognize who God is, we shun evil and listen to him and live in ways that are in sync with the way he wants us to, that we will prosper and that our paths will be made straight. Now, this does not mean that, you know, we're going to get everything the way that we want it to be, but it's a recognition that God is in control and he is at working, he's outworking his plan for good and for us. Even though we might not see the details, we can trust in him that ultimately we'll prosper and he will make our paths straight. But shunning evil is, is extreme language for us as well, isn't it? Because evil so often is something we reserve for the extreme actions of others. We don't like to think of it ourselves. Uh, in one of our confessions, uh, we say this, Lord God, we have sinned against you, we have done evil in your sight. I don't know about you, when, when we read that, sometimes it can kind of grate because remember, you know, evil is that, that extreme, more extreme action of others. It's not, it's not me who does this. But the way of wisdom is to shun evil. It's to recognize that through what we do or what we fail to do, we fall short of the glory of God and listening to him. We're not passive victims. Uh, we're, not, we're not simply, you know... Um, Passive, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're not just those receiving bad things against us, although that might be the case, but rather we are agents and evil players. We have agency. And so we are too. The path of wisdom is to shun evil. And so in a sense, a way in which we express that posture is by confessing our sin uh, together. To shun evil is to recognise our failures, to repent, but it's also to obey God and to follow his ways, to entrust ourselves to the source of wisdom. Well, as we think about it, the way to wisdom is, verse 23, to look to God, for he knows where wisdom dwells, so we seek God, and the way of wisdom is to fear God and to shun evil. And the good news is that we can do this because, in the wisdom of God, he has sent Christ for us. Christopher Ash points it out 
uh, beautifully in this passage. He says, When the apostles were guided by the Holy Spirit to reflect on Jesus Christ, one of the Old Testament categories they found themselves drawn to was that of wisdom. In his blameless life, his undeserved death, and his vindication on the third day, Jesus Christ was the wisdom of God. And in our reading we just read in 1 Corinthians, in verse 30, it says, It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. To be wise is to be in Christ. And as we are in Christ, we, with the mind of Christ, seek to fear God, shun evil, and obey his commands. Christ crucified is the power and the wisdom of God. That's the path of wisdom. But again, the world does not see the path to wisdom in this way. To follow him and obey him will mean that to others we will be considered as fools. We are foolish, though, we read here, to the extent that we don't fear God and don't shun evil. So in concluding this, what, what might we do with this? How might we think about this? Well, we've been called to fear God and to shun evil. What might it look like if we don't fear God and don't shun evil? How might we do this? Well, it might mean that we, we presume upon God. That is, we presume upon uh, him to be kind to us. It might be to presume upon him in demonstrating our arrogance, in seeing ourselves at the centre of the universe. We might express this in all kinds of ways. Are there, are there ways in which you're trying to control your situations? Uh, your goals, God's goals. Uh, when your plans don't go to plan, do you recognise that, that God is at work potentially, with complete knowledge, bringing something good from it. Um, we need to have humility as we, as we think about this. God is at the centre of the universe. He knows the A to Z. And in the midst of our life, it can be incredibly painful, but the call here is to entrust ourselves to him, to put him at the centre of the universe and not us. How can we do that better? Well, we can meditate on the only wise God. We could spend time in the chapters of the Bible which speak about his glory and power, the later chapters of Job, do this. We can reflect on his goodness and kindness and love and his power and his sovereignty and his compassion. And we can pray to the Spirit to help us to see that. But we might also not fear God, not shun evil, in the sense that we, we treat lightly that which God takes seriously. We might be light on sin, or we might lean on our own understanding. So a response to today might be, uh, are there things that you need to shun, that is, to, to push away, to turn away from? Are there habits or patterns of behaviour that set you on a certain directory, trajectory? Well, the lesson here is, is to pursue righteousness, trusting that God knows best, to listen to his word, to obey his commands. That's the beginning of wisdom. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do it by confession. We, we recognise the ways in which we've fallen short. We draw someone in on it. We share the load. We, we give encouragement to each other to, to shun evil, to fear God and to obey his commands. 
don't know about you, but each day, do you, do, you, do, you, do you name at the end of the day those ways in which you've fallen short and delight in the forgiveness that you've received in Christ? To the extent that we do these things, we will not be unwise, but we will be wise. And finally, we pray, as James taught us to, if we lack wisdom, or we should ask for it. We pray with others. We inquire of the Lord together. We go to his word. Let's cultivate seeking the Lord together this year. And it's interesting, if, if you look at the start of the book of Job, we see in verse 1 that it tells us that Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. His life was turned upside down, yet despite him not knowing what was going on, despite the perplexity and suffering, his call was to walk with God exactly the way that he started, to fear God and to shun evil. Here's this verse from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2. He says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue your lives in him in a similar way. To begin on the way of wisdom, the way of discipleship, is to fear God, is to recognize the ways in which we fall short and to entrust ourselves to Christ, to repent from evil, to follow the way of wisdom. We had to walk with Christ, but yet our path is the same. We are to fear God and to shun evil, to start and to keep going as we started, trusting in Christ for salvation, for strength to follow his commands. This is actually the good and the wise life. So we're to recognise that we are not God and, it, and it's not our world, but that that is actually good news. There's freedom to be found there. It's interesting in, in the Gospels, particularly as it speaks about life of the kingdom, which as you read is always a paradox. Uh, but one of the ways in which it speaks about how we should receive it is as, as a child. What's interesting is, you know, when we went out for the bike ride and it starts tipping it down with rain, you know, my default position is to find an awning nearby and to stay dry. But they, they, they you know, or, or to get frustrated that the plans, you know, are ruined. Whereas they don't resent it, but, but playfully embrace it, kind of dancing and darting around and delighting in, in the rain. And in a sense, that's, that's a picture of, of life in the kingdom. That's a picture of living under the God who knows all things, that even in the midst of life, when it throws us, we can entrust ourselves knowing that God is in control, he cares for us, and he's shown us his wisdom in Christ. Life will warrant questions and, and many tears, but though we cannot see what is going on, God does, so we can entrust ourselves to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God only wise. And that in your wisdom, you saw it as fitting to create a world that is good and wonderful and create us to enjoy it and you and fellowship. Yet, when we fall so far short and this world seems in disarray through the chaos of, of sin and brokenness, you saw it fitting uh, again to redeem this world and to restore relationship with yourself. That is the wisdom of Christ. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the perspective that it gives us. We thank you for the hope that it gives us. 
Father, we pray, though, that in the midst of life when we are facing suffering and hardship and many of us will be here, when there's uncertainty and perplexity, may we draw comfort that you are the God who knows the way to wisdom. You are the source of true wisdom, that you are in control, that we can trust you, we can lean on you, uh, and that you will be to us as a kind father to his children. So we pray that we might entrust ourselves to you, and you might bring us comfort through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.